You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to WSUW, 91.7 FM, The Edge, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to welcome back to the program Maria Snigavaya, a scholar at Harriman Institute at Columbia University, uh, joining us via Skype from New York City. How are you, Maria? Very well. It's really sunny in New York today, Yuri. Yuri. It's, it's kind of hard to predict how the weather is going to be in Wisconsin on any given day. We may have snow exactly. one day and then 60 degrees the next, so just... Is it a good day today? Great. <laughs> it's a great day today, but I think it's fair to say that the weather has been changeable lately, just as Trump's tweets. Oh my goodness. Well, in that case, <laughs> let's let's cut to the chase. Um, I think there's a it's, it's getting a little bit confusing. I'm not sure if it stopped being confusing for people. So he, here's the confusion that I'm dealing with these days is on one hand, there's a lot of smoke and potential fire going on with Trump and his relationship with Russia. This is, seems to be the story that all sorts of uh, um, fire references are made to, you know, slow simmering, whatever. But at the same time, there are posts that I see in social media that are people, that people are calling attention to the fact that there's other things going on while we're being, quote unquote, distracted by Russia. And so that's where, you know, so we should pay attention also to all the... Um, see, like, police is distracting attention from this conversation. I'm so sorry, yeah. yeah it's perfectly fine. You're in New York. This is how we know yeah. for sure. <laughs> but, sh how, you know, but uh, there are people saying that we're not, pay we shouldn't pay this much attention to the Russian situation because there's bills that are being passed by Congress and, oh my goodness, that maybe Russia is just a distraction in the first place. What are your thoughts as somebody who professionally studies Russia and its relationship with the world? Um, is this an important story is there a fire there i certainly think there's uh, no smoke without fire and this is particularly true to this kind of situation where um uh, you see every pretty much every single day there is news di disclosures appearing regarding trump's administration or trump's acquaintances being in one way or another connected to the russians you know at this point if you know trump and you haven't yet met with the russian ambassador sergey kislyak something's got to be wrong with you you feel a little bit left out it feels because we have heard about several uh several actually more than uh uh, several uh, possible occasions on which uh, Trump's administration's representatives and even his own um, son-in-law have been meeting with the Russians, both in the United States and in Europe. And it's hard to imagine that those meetings, which were obviously more frequent than what you would expect from a typical uh, upcoming administration, they, uh, clearly there's some prioritizing of the Russian connections among the Trump administration. Uh, clearly there's something going on, and uh, I don't think it's a great idea to uh, treat it as a distraction to all the other things Trump is doing. I think it's important for us right now, uh, given how unusual and unprecedented and unprecedented this uh, president of the United States is, it's important to very, very attentively monitor everything he does. So if we talk specifically about the Russian connections of the Trump's administration, we have about 
uh, about eight people from uh, his administration alone or from his uh, immediate team of advisors who have been uh, knowingly uh, meeting with the Russian people. Uh, Jeff Sessions, the most recent one. We have also Michael Flynn, who recently had to leave uh, the um, um, uh, to the Trump's team. We had Paul Manafort, Rex Tillerson. We have Will, Wilbur Ross, the Secretary of Commerce, who is also in one way or another connected to the Russian business interests. Roger Stone, a long-term tri- uh, Trump's advisor. Carter Page, of course, and J.D. Gordon, another uh, former uh, advisor of Trump. All of them um, uh, seems to be in one way or another connected to the Russian businesses. Uh, this suggests that uh, Trump clearly himself is not immune to those. And... Uh, Probably those uh, uh, financial, commercial interests uh, in the situation when Russia is considered one of the priority threats to the interests of the United States, it's it's really inc- incredibly important to monitor uh, whatever is going is going on there. And the bi- bipartisan investigation of his links to Russia are of primary importance, I would say. What kind of connections do you think, you know, it's it's not just uh, that speaking with a Russian ambassador means something in particular or does it? Because I think that's where part of the confusion is, because I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding why simple meeting with a Russian ambassador now places a person on this, you know, blacklist and they have to resign and they have to, uh, you know... (laughs) have an explanation for why they met with the Russian ambassador. Is is meeting Russian ambassador necessarily equals doing something bad? Uh, yeah, the most dangerous person, Sergei Kislak, meeting whom can get you fired, as they say, as, as they joke right. Uh, right now in Washington, or the most uh, the um, uh, the most um, uninteresting person, because the moment you meet him, you immediately forget about having met him before, right? As <laughs> yeah, it he feels terrible, I understand, right? Yeah, there's an onion. There's a fantastic piece about that. How heartbroken he feels about <laughs> people from Trump's administration being so forgetful about their meetings. Uh, it's not just that uh, they meet with Sergei Kislyak. It is that it is that first of all, and don't get confused by what Trump's uh, team is saying. Those are not official meetings. That those are all the meetings that were uh, taking place secretly uh, for for one reason or another or another. For some reason, they decided to hide them. Um, uh, the second thing is that it's not that they just met Sergei Kislyak or some other Russians. That it's that the Trump administration team or his acquaintances they refuse to mention those, uh, as it happened with um, uh, Flynn or Sessions, or they uh, misrepresent the uh, topics of discussions with the ambassador. Third thing is that uh, it is that uh, it's very clear that those meetings were not just innocent, nice discussions about the weather in New York or D.C. Respectively, uh, respectively. It was actually about the Russian sanctions, and we know this for sure. We know that specifically Flynn called uh, Sergei Kislyak and discussed with him uh, the Russia's reactions uh, to the new round of sanctions imposed by Obama administration in December in response to Russia's hackers, hacking attacks. 
And we do know that Flynn specifically asked Russia not to overreact, because, and he promised that those sanctions were going to be lifted once Trump is in the office. So those were very specific promises made by uh, a future president um, to, once again, one of the biggest geopolitical enemies of the United States. And ultimately, uh, there's also interesting correlation between Jeff Sessions' meetings with uh, Ambassador Kislyak and rhetoric of the Trump administration and specific actions taken by the Russian hackers uh, because uh, when Sessions met um, Kislyak in September, back in September 2016, it's interesting that those meetings tend to correlate with a, um, a significant um, positive narrative about Russia in Trump's speeches. So once Sessions meets Kislyak, they discuss something, and next day or in a couple of days, Trump comes out and says, oh, Putin's such a great man, or we certainly will improve the relationships, the relationship with Russia, it's very good for the United States, and things like this. So there's interesting correlation there. Obviously, correlation doesn't mean causation. But more than that, there's also interesting correlation between those same meetings uh, between uh, Sessions and Kislyak and the um, leaks of uh, the DNC emails by uh, um, WikiLeaks. So we don't know for sure if something has happened there, but it really there's it really leaves the possibility that something ha could have been discussed discussed at those meetings that influenced the uh, exposure of those DNC emails, which were obviously meant to hurt Clinton and help Trump to win this election, and that of course creates the suspicion uh, that Trump's team might have coordinated with the Russians in an attempt to. Uh, damage Clinton and assist uh, Trump in winning this election, which again may potentially imply that if geopolitical foe, the United States assisted the current U.S. president in taking power and assisted not just, uh, um, you know, uh, in a secret way, but really directly coordinated with the current U.S. president in order to help him win this election, which is, of course, completely is a completely unprecedented um, um, uh, turn of the events in the history of the United States. So this all is of really crucial importance, and that is why it is really important that we investigate the situation much deeper. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, the Rashkin Report. This is Yuri Rashkin, and my guest is Maria Snigavaya, a scholar at Harriman Institute at uh, Columbia University, a specialist in all things Russian, and uh, her writings are frequently featured in Huffington Post, Newsweek, and uh, other websites and places that follow what's going on in Russia, and we are discussing the effect of the relationship uh, between uh, the, the the evidences of a relationship between the Trump team and a Kremlin team um, on, uh, on the well, and that I guess is my next question, Maria. What do you feel is the harm or the relevance of all of this highfalutin politicking stuff to regular people on the ground, to Americans uh, in their everyday life? Does this does this matter? Well, I think the Americans in their everyday life may not immediately feel the impact of uh, what we uh, suspect may be some kind of collusion between the interests of the current U.S. administration and the Russian state. But in the long term, there's going to be certain impacts. First of all, obviously, I would imagine the American people would want to know that their president represents the interests of their own country rather than actually tries to also 
assists some other country's interests, particularly if this other country uh, is a geopolitical foe of the United States. Uh, but there's more to it, because in the long term, uh, I do believe that Trump is ultimately the American president and not the Russian president. He's not the Russian president, right? He still will try to do something that, in his opinion, is good for the United States, whether uh, his opinion is legit or not, <laughs> is unfortunately a completely different issue. Uh, but uh, it is important that to uh, one answer to this question, to consider what uh, Russia is up to. And Russia has not just, uh, you know, emerged out of nowhere. It's actually for the last at least 10 years have been purposefully trying to alternate the world order. Um, Putin has announced in his 2007 Munich speech, the notorious Munich speech, that uh, he's going to try to alternate to change the unipolar world that in his mind is imposed by the United States and other countries. And what it means is that Russia will consecutively be trying to reinvent, so to say, the geopolitical space, uh, the neighboring countries around Russia, the so-called sphere of its interests that include Georgia, Ukraine, most other post-Soviet space and potentially some post-communist space, including the Baltics and Poland, the countries that are really, really scared of Russia's uh, recent incursion in Ukraine. Uh, now, if uh, Trump administration is just going to follow what is, uh, which Trump has publicly promised, regardless of whatever non-public agreements uh, with Russia they may have, it is clear that the United States will stop being very uh, restrictive uh, and um, uh, kind of will st stop trying to limit Russia's geopolitical ambitions. That represents a potential threat to stability of the world today. Because if Russia realizes that it's no longer constrained by the United, by the United States and also Europe, uh, especially on, in, in the situation where uh, such leaders as Trump also take power in countries like France or Germany. In that situation, uh, Putin essentially ge gets permission to do what he wants to do in the neighboring countries to Russia and to destabilize them, to annex part of their territories, to impose and support the governments um, that he wants, to, to implement the coups in those countries. Like uh, lately, we've, we've heard such an attempt has been made in Montenegro, for example. So, and in effect, actually promote its quite aggressive policies all over the world. That means that we will see many more authoritarian governments and populist governments emerging in these countries, the instability will probably increase because those leaders uh, do not care about stability as they care about retaining their hold on power. And all these negative uh, tendencies will significantly intensify. Ultimately, this means potentially wars, right? And this is what the, Americans pe the American people probably do not want. And in order to prevent that, it's important to ensure that Putin's geopolitical ambitions are limited and that anybody, instead anyone, uh, Putin, be it Putin, any kind of Chinese leader, anyone, be it Assad, um, these leaders need to understand that the border and the, uh, the country borders, as they are now, they should not be redrawn. Uh, this is unfortunately um, something that's currently under threat because we don't really know what kind of 
uh, geopolitical order Trump has in mind. But he repeatedly mentioned that the United States should not interfere in other countries' affairs, that Ukraine is ultimately Russia's business, that it matters much more to Russia than it matters to the United States. And in general, I just want to point out that uh, to Trump's credit, he's not the first president to say all these things. In fact, we've been observing this kind of slight isolationist track in uh, the U.S. foreign policy, at least since Barack Obama becoming the U.S. president. So Trump, in this sense, is not a big deviation. He just intensified those tendencies that are already there. The American people seem to be, at the time, currently more concerned with their domestic problems of the country rather than international uh, problems. And no one is trying to blame them. It's just that we should, if, uh, we should realize that there's really big risks associated to such positions. And that's uh, something that I wanted to ask you about because I think the rhetoric may have uh, gotten stronger uh, substantially with President Trump, but um, President Obama has been one of the least uh, militarily involved presidents um, outside of the United States that, that we have uh, experienced. Uh, obviously, his uh, he put a lot more emphasis on drone attacks and, and targeted, uh, basically, assassinations or attacks. Um, but he also was not of the opinion that strong American military presence is the key to securing peace in all over the world. Um, so how do you compare, you know, now that we're just uh, really a month and a half or two months, whatever, outside of, you know, into Trump's presidency and no longer in Obama's presidency, um, f from the big picture point of view, how do you see the, the shift uh, taking place from Obama to Trump? Uh, well, we see, as I, as I mentioned before, in my opinion, if anything, Trump is a logical continuation. When it comes to the foreign policy, uh, he continues logically the legacy, to some extent, left by Obama or by early Obama, uh, in the sense that he uh, really uh, wants to focus on the domestic problems and tries to emphasize the need for the United States to uh, kind of to achieve the equal NATO funding, the need for the other countries to contribute to the NATO, essentially saying that the United States is not going to be providing for other countries anymore, etc., etc., etc. But the good thing, yeah, by the way, uh, I just want to mention that he's also not unique. Trump is also not unique in his attempt to improve the relations with Russia. It's really typical for many American presidents uh, to try to renegotiate, to reset the relations with Russia uh, once just, they come just to power. We're not aware of any other one before Trump who also connected it possibly with his personal enrichment. Exactly. So we, it's just that it's, it has never happened before, to my knowledge, that the, like some kind of personal financial interest of, of current presidents were also somehow connected to the region. Uh, potentially, especially given how bad the relationship between Russia and the United States had been recently. Now, to Obama's credit, he has been learning over his presidency. He did uh, kind of subtly probably accepted the reset policy as a failure, which we can certainly uh, right now say it was. 
uh, and uh, changed his stance and his attitude towards Russia dramatically in the aftermath of the Ukrainian conflict. The sanctions that were imposed by Obama administration uh, is the step that should be applauded. Actually, it was not essentially um, when Russia first uh, intervened Ukraine and when it's annexed Crimea, it was not obvious that Obama's administration was going to do what it did. Obviously, the uh, downing of MH17 uh, Malaysian flight contributed to such harsh response. But um, what we see, uh, but Obama, uh, don't forget, he was a very popular president since most of his presidency, he was supported and backed by the majority of the of the American population. So he had some flexibility in his actions. Uh, I see that what I see is different with Trump, and I think it's a positive development, is that he's so unusual in his personal style and his behavior um, as an American president, and he has managed to alienate from him uh, from. Um, him from himself so many american different interest groups civil society the um, uh the intelligence community uh all of the democrats uh the potentially the the the, um, uh, the judges etc 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 that he actually in a way put himself into a cage where no matter what he does it's um it is faced with hostility from um, many many segments of the American society. That means that he uh, his actions are quite constrained. So even if he says things like, okay, I'm now going to boost the U.S. military budget, which is, if you think about it, actually quite in a disagreement with other things he said about NATO and Russia. Um, and we know that, ironically, this military, uh, this boost uh, is larger than all of Russia's military budget altogether so all I'm of sorry, the, did you uh, say the 54 billion dollars that trump is proposing to increase the budget by is greater than the entire russian federation military so, yeah. budget i wow. think so yeah okay um uh, so uh, even that actually is faced with hostility so uh in a way but the good thing is that um no matter what trump is going to try to do or say in the nearest future will probably be faced with a lot of resentment and criticism from different segments of the american society that means he's really 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 constrained in his foreign policy options which is ultimately is good that means he can no longer afford any strong uh, conciliatory uh, friendly steps towards uh, russia in the near future so that means that Essentially, he'll be monitored really closely and not make any, not take any kind of very drastic, unexpected steps, which I think is good. Maria, in conclusion, how do Russian people feel about this whole development? It seems that maybe Trump is not as officially popular as he was before, but nonetheless, he's not quite the enemy yet. How are Russian people dealing with this 1984 scenario where today we're enemies, tomorrow we're friends, day after tomorrow, who knows? Well, first of all, uh, Russian people always live in this 1984 scenario, at least for the last, uh, how many, 17, 19 years of Putin's rule. That's how they've been living. Uh, so it's nothing new to them. Uh, second of all, Russian people tend to mostly think and repeat uh, whatever they're told by the Russian state TV channels. And as we know already, they tend to treat this information very uncritically. 
So there is no, like, I, I get a lot of questions from the US audience, like, but how come, like, Russian people do not realize that they were said a completely, they were told a completely different thing yesterday uh, by the Kremlin <laughs> channels. And I, and they, how can they analyze those things? And I, and I always respond, they just don't, because uh, that's not what they do. That, that's not how they taught to perceive the information. So effectively, we do know that the pro-Kremlin channels have been particularly good to Trump uh, in a sharp, sharpest contrast to their coverage of Obama. Obama always was blamed um, on for all the problems in the Russian society, in Russia. There's a lot of jokes related to how, uh, no matter what kind of problems in your family you have, it's all Obama's fault. Uh, But by contrast, since um, mid-summer 2016, the Kremlin channels have been given Trump a particular attention and all the coverage was particularly favorable to him. That's how, actually, I first uh, realized or at least, not the, maybe not the first time, but that's how I became convinced that Trump is some the candidate that the Kremlin wanted. This is um, in contradiction to what many other Russian experts in the United States have been saying, um, that Kremlin actually tried to uh, damage Clinton without necessarily uh, trying to make, uh, to elect Trump, because the Kremlin didn't necessarily want Trump to win. Well, if you watched the Kremlin channels, that that does not necessarily sound credible because on the Kremlin channels since summer 2016, you've seen a particularly favorable coverage of Trump. And essentially, he was given a lot of time. Uh, Most of the things he said or did were covered in a very favorable fashion. And um, as outcome, you saw most of the Russians supporting Trump and Russia being the only country on the Gallup survey who favored Trump's candidacy over Hillary's candidacy in this election. So all other European countries, for obvious reasons, tended to prefer Hillary. Uh, now, however... Uh, so this favorable coverage has continued up until uh, his um, Trump's election, and when he was elected, the Kremlin channels and the state Russian state politicians had become just hysterical in their adoration of Trump. We know there was an official celebration in the Russian parliament with champagne. Uh, Margarita Simonyan, the editor in chief of RT, ex Russia Today channel, the biggest propaganda uh, Russia's uh, channel said that she was going to uh, ride across Moscow with an American flag on the car because the Americans deserved it, etc., etc., etc. Essentially, you saw a completely unprecedented celebration of Trump's um, uh, victory. Uh, his inauguration uh, was celebrated by officially launched parties in Moscow. And even so there were there were even some rumors of fireworks, however, they are not confirmed. So effectively, Russia was really, really um, uh, excited about his presidency. Uh, lately, however, um, as Trump was came increasingly under attacks uh, from different segments of the U.S. society about his uh, Putin connections, uh, the Kremlin realized that it's time to adjust the um, uh, the uh, narrative. Uh, by the way, I forgot to say that uh, this um, very pro-Trump favorable coverage by the Kremlin TV channels has resulted in uh, 
um, Russia's attitudes towards the Americans improving for the first time in the last, I don't know, probably 10 years or more. So essentially, finally, the attitudes of the Russians uh, starting um, change and many, many, like increasingly, I think 10% more um, Russians favored the Americans uh, and the, the United States in 2017, in January 2017, as opposed to 2016. So we see that the state propaganda is um, directly translated into people's preferences in Russia, which, by the way, is a good thing because it means that uh, all this hostility of the Russian people against the West is really malleable and can be changed within three months as long as you have control over the um, TV uh, channels. Now, however, lately, as I have I've been saying, as I said, uh, the Kremlin realized that the pro-Russian, uh, pro, I'm sorry, that pro-Trump coverage on the TV channels was really damaging to Trump because me and other journalists have been closely following the, uh, the coverage um, in Russia. And, of course, suggesting that these may not be random, that all these meetings between Trump's administration and the Russian officials and uh, together with it, really pro-Trump favorable coverage of the state TV channels in Russia may have something to do in common. So Putin being, you know, a spy, being a trained spy, a KGB, former KGB agent, he realized that it's time to uh, kind of scale it down. And so a couple of weeks ago, the Russian state TV channels were ordered uh, by the Kremlin administration to scale down the Trump coverage. But you and don't think then, this is but you don't think this is due to Putin disliking Trump. This is just a change of tactic that now we need to give our agent more cover basically so we're gonna be a little less praise you know, putting a little less praise on him just so that, you know, not because we like him less, but because that's what needs to be done at this time. Yeah, absolutely. There's absolutely. Yeah, I know that many people think that Putin is frustrated with Trump, but there's really little indication for it. In fact, the looks that I'm getting from DC is that, uh, contrary to what we hear from Trump, there is uh, incre- like certain number of his uh, representatives traveling to Moscow and offering the Kremlin some peace deals on Syria in exchange to Ukraine. So the negotiations continue. They're just not public. Well, I mean, they never have been public, right? This is uh, this this is why we have all the scandals with Sessions and Flynn to begin, to begin with. But they're ongoing. They continue. And even the Kremlin officials themselves, they say that they say it openly. We think that Trump is under a lot of pressure. Uh, because of this alleged Russia links. So we will just uh, wait and see. There's no reason for him to give up on Trump whatsoever. Trump has never, so, so to say, betrayed, quote-unquote, betrayed Putin. He keeps saying only good things about Putin. Remember his famous line that uh, when asked uh, how could he praise Putin, who is a murderer, Trump responded, well, uh, then, so what? Do you think in the United States is so innocent? We also killed a lot of people, et cetera, et cetera. So Trump has never actually dramatically changed his rhetoric on Putin. He may have scaled down in his appraisal praise for Putin, but that's been typical, just a response to this whole ongoing uh, scandal. And the same... Um, 
reaction uh, is also what we see from the Kremlin. Kremlin also scaled down on Trump in just be, precisely for the, so, those same reasons, just to diminish, uh, to try to decrease the scandal a little bit, to scale down the scale the scandal a little bit. That doesn't really give us any indication that um, something else is going on. It's too early to say there is some kind of um, end of bromance between Putin and Trump. On that note, let us wrap up this conversation. Thank you so much, Maria Snigavai, for being on Rashkin Report once again. And, it's always uh, a pleasure. Thank you. We'll, we'll keep watching what's going on. This is, it's, uh, I just uh, am so fascinated by the fact that the program that started to talk about uh, Russia and its, its effect on the world all of a sudden ended up speaking about the direct involvement of American president in the, in the subject. But well, it is what it is. We'll just keep watching. Thank you so much, Maria. Yeah, you're welcome. You're listening to Rashkin Report.